I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is the FT's retail banking correspondent, Charlene Goff. Daniel Schaefer, Investment Banking Correspondent, and Brooke Masters, our Chief Regulation Correspondent. This week, the impact of the bailout of Spanish bank Bankia. There is a growing concern about the amount of stuff the ECB is holding that's not very good. Also, what is the future for free banking in the UK? Banking isn't really free. You don't pay a monthly fee for it. You pay through other sort of more hidden charges. And finally, on investment banks... Are cost cuts really possible? There have been two to basically decades where banking paid much, much more than the rest of the private sector, and that's been in the 1920s and the first decade of this century. First, though, to the topic of Spain and Spain's troubled banks, particularly Bankia. This is the second biggest domestic bank, and it doesn't seem to be a week that goes by without more drama occurring there. Last Friday, we had news that 19 billion euros more was going to be injected into this institution to prop it up. Over the weekend, it emerged that Spain wanted to do that in some kind of weird structure, not actually injecting cash, but injecting its own debt. Charlene, this is reminiscent, not really of very much in the past. This is pretty unique, but it does call into mind something that happened in Ireland a few years ago. Yes, back in 2010, a fairly similar structure was used to prop up what was then Anglo-Irish, which was the worst of Ireland's big three banks and which has since was nationalised and has now been merged with a much smaller failed lender, Irish Nationwide Building Society. So they were the sort of the two worst. And these similar sort of idea was used for both those institutions by which Ireland effectively um, injected bonds into them that then then they could use as collateral at the ECB. It's slightly different in Ireland because it wasn't sort of used as a way to increase their regular liquidity. It was more kind of if they needed uh, the collateral against sort of riskier assets. But this time with Bankia, it would be used just for their sort of day-to-day liquidity, which is even more unusual. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like they're trying to, uh, well, we don't know exactly what the liquidity needs are, I suppose, mm. but the kind of prime reason for doing doing this, or injecting the 19 billion is because their equity needs propping up in order to take the losses on, uh, or latent losses on their real estate investments. But I suppose the key thing is that it basically puts the, the net cost or the, or the net uh, cash cost of uh, recapitalizing uh, Spain's worst bank onto the ECB, um, which and is going to be quite controversial. Yeah, it makes it much cheaper for Spain because yeah. rather than actually issuing the debt in the market and paying, well, at today's levels, more than 6.5% mm. yield on that debt, it's just injecting the debt straight into Bankia. Yeah. We don't know yet for how long it will, you know, whether it'll be 10-year, 20-year, 30-year bonds. That's um, where it is unusual, because I think normally, and Brit, you know, you're more familiar on these sorts of matters, but, you know, I think normally you can de- deposit money with the ECB, ECB for about three months, so this would be far longer term than we've seen so far. 
Yeah, well, it, we we still don't know. I don't think Spain has decided what exactly it wants to do in terms of the details of this, but presumably they have to get some kind of deal with the ECB in order to be able to get this stuff repoed at the uh, you know uh, on a on a sustainable basis. Well, it's a little bit reminiscent of what the ECB tried to do with Greece where they started taking all kinds of um, assets at for repo that they wouldn't ordinarily accept. There is a growing concern I had at lunch today with some bankers about the amount of stuff the ECB is holding that's not very good. I mean, the ECB itself doesn't have that much capital relative to the amount, the billions and billions of euros in sort of shaky government bonds it is now holding. Yeah, I, I can't believe that uh, there's many people at the ECB today who are going to be rejoicing about uh, the Spanish government's plans. No, absolutely. And also, <laughs> earlier this year, we saw Anglo-Irish and Irish Nationwide actually try, strike a deal to delay payments. So even though it was a sort of more cost-effective way of doing it back in 2010, they're still struggling to make the you know huge repayments they have on these loans now. And you know that will be a sort of sign a, um, that would presumably make the ECB officials feel quite nervous about doing the same on a much, you know, sort of bigger and more risky scale with Bankia. I said, what does this mean two or three years down the line? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just in case that wasn't uh, enough bad news, I think by the end of Monday, we're going to have had results from Bankia's holding company parent uh, organisation, BFA, which according to the Spanish press, uh, is going to report the biggest loss in Spanish corporate history. So that's a nice little uh, thing for the ECB to look forward to uh, as being a background story for them. We should move on to our second topic of the day and, and free banking, which is has been an institution in, in British banking for getting on for 30 years. Yeah. Midland Bank introduced it basically and, and the rest of the market followed in uh, the early 1980s. And it's been with us ever since. But there's there's kind of increasing talk, Charlene, that people would like to see the back of it. Banks mostly would probably like to see the back of it because they want to be able to charge their customers. But regulators also want to see the back of it. Yeah, they they have done for a while, actually. And, and this time around, it was Andrew Bailey, who's in charge of supervising banks for the FSA, who said in a speech last week that, you know, he wanted to see the end of free banking, that it was a dangerous myth. Um, by that, he meant that, you know, banking isn't really free. It's just the actual, you don't pay a monthly fee for it. You pay through other sort of more hidden charges and opaque fees. And, and that's what people really hate about it. That's what he hates about it. He thinks it would be a better world if everyone knew exactly what they were paying for, had greater transparency and just said, OK, you know, you're not going to be hit with these huge overdraft charges or overseas fees for example and instead you'll have an upfront fee now he said all this before actually about six months ago and it's just been a topic that constantly comes up it was one of the big issues of vickers the independent banking commission that you know we we spent a lot of time talking about last year and you know finally got their recommendations in september now they avoided it altogether and that's been the decision of most people because at the end of the day you know we're in a competitive market we're supposed to be in an open market and to have this sort of interventionist approach where you know banks are forbidden to offer free banking would be somewhat um in you know co in conflict with what the public want you know who are, yeah, feel absolutely. it's very popular and don't want to be suddenly hit by a 10 pound a month charge for their basic bank account which is why the government appointed commission uh, the vicar's commission I, i'm sure kind of avoided it it would yeah. be electorally uh, uh, kind of poisonous to exactly. institute this Any kind of thing. Any government would be mad, and that was the feedback we got following Andrew Bailey's speech, is that it would be incredibly difficult for the Treasury to impose anything like this. Nonetheless, they talk, Andrew Bailey did talk about 
having some kind of intervention. Now, he wasn't clear about what he meant, Brooke, but did he mean, do you think, the regulator or did he mean the government? Or Well, it should be noted that Andrew Bailey has no power to do anything because he, when the FSA splits up, moves into the PRA, which is the Prudential Regulatory Authority, which does safety and soundness of banks. It does not regulate products at all. So this would have to be covered by the other bit of the FSA, as will be uh, the Financial Conduct Authority. Right. And that's run by Martin Wheatley. And the FCA also has real doubts about free banking because they believe it encourages mis-selling because banks try to make up the money they don't get from charging for banking by cross-selling you lovely things like PPI. So is this is this Andrew Bailey, though, trying to kind of nudge Martin Wheatley down a route that he'd like him to take? Or, or what is what is going on here? What's the I, mean, I think this is a personal hobby horse of his, is mm-hmm. that he thinks nobody has the guts to take this on. And he and because, he, you know, in a way, it's it's free for him because he doesn't actually have to put his money where his mouth is and do something. He keeps raising the issue in hopes that it would do it. The real way you could probably at least begin to address it through regulatory intervention is through required transparency, where like with your bank account, you you know, with your statement, maybe every six months you get a, this is what you would have gotten if you'd put this money someplace else. And this is what you've paid in other fees. And we are seeing moves towards that. That was one of the elements in Vickers, that they wanted that exact kind of exposure. Um, yeah, that's about disclosure. as far as they went, didn't they? Yeah, and they wanted yeah. that on your annual statement. So you know, A, what you've paid in charges and B, what you've lost because you didn't get interest on that money. So that will make it easier to compare accounts and you know give people a better idea what they And the paying. banks seem to be, I mean, Lloyd's is talking about doing that already or wanting to do that, having put that forward. It, it feels yeah. like the banks are kind of on side to go at least that far. They are. And also we are seeing a gradual evolution towards mm. paid for banking. Like there's this big uh, account that's being mass marketed by Santander at the moment, their 123 current account, which you have to pay for. But you don't just pay for it and you get nothing in return. You get cash back on various different services and every time you spend money, you get money back. And so it's that kind of evolution, I think, or, you know, potentially banks starting to charge for some of their digital services that are a bit more sophisticated than the ones we've seen so far. We're moving there slowly, but I don't think we're going to get this big bang change like we did back in the 1980s when we or free banking come in. Right, so intervention is probably not going to happen, but maybe we get evolution uh, towards non-free banking. Our final topic for today is on the other side of the banking industry, the investment banking sphere, which is becoming an even more difficult sphere post-crisis and post-regulatory kind of change in which to come up with a business model that looks sustainably profitable. Not many people would believe that given the paychecks that a lot of investment bankers get every year. But Daniel, you think that we should take seriously the idea that investment banking has to address its cost issues if it's going to be sustainable? Yes, indeed. I mean, the, the cost base in terms of remuneration, both in the front office, which is where everybody's actually looking at, everybody's looking at the big millions checks the traders are getting, but also in the back office of ban- banks is something that will continue to be really big topic in the next few years, even, maybe even a bigger than, than, than it already has been in the past. And the reason for this is since the financial crisis, banks have started slowly to address their cost base and they they started to you know try to to uh, clamp down on bonuses 
And uh, d despite the public outcry over big bonus checks that are still being paid, they actually the, the overall amount, uh, there's a new research piece now showing uh, by by the Association of Financial Markets in Europe, which is the, the sort, of, sort of lobby organization for the investment banks. Yeah. It's showing that uh, total amount of uh, variable pay, i.e. mostly bonuses on a per capita basis, is down uh, 55% since, since 2007. So that has decreased. But on the other side, of the coin, um, uh, the fixed salaries of, of bankers have actually increased by 37% since 2007. Now, Brooke, that's in part, isn't it, because of new regulations that came in at a European level, going to regulate what top bankers could get in terms of uh, their variable pay. It, it, that is true. There, there are limits. You can only pay, of a variable bonus, you can only pay basically 25% of it in cash. Yeah. 25% more can be an immediate stock, and then the remaining half has to be deferred. Um, it also, some of the regulators were strongly in favor of this move. There was a feeling that, that things that were called bonuses were actually what people were living on, and they wanted the banks to be more honest and say, look, some of this bonus is not a bonus. It's what everybody lives on. You know, call, call the salary the salary and the bonus the bonus, and so that in bad years you really could pay no bonus. So it's not surprising that, that as they cut back bonus, they did increase salary somewhat, although I think that amount is quite startling. So we shouldn't see it simplistically as fixed versus variable because some of the, the old variable was effectively fixed. Yeah. But nonetheless, critics of the, the kind of direction of regulation point out that some of the new rules that we're going to get, potentially another European initiative that's in the parliament there to restrict the, the kind of bald proportion of, of bonus against salary will do yet again push up salaries. They're kind of talking about a ratio of one to one maximum. Although it should be noted that uh, Michel Barnier, who is the commissioner for the financial markets, has got an alternate idea coming through as part of a much larger corporate governance which is the salaries. vote on pay. But, um, and the idea is that, yeah. that fixed ratios are probably not a brilliant idea in, for exactly the reason Daniel has pointed mm -hmm. out, which is that they, they really lock you in in terms of fixed costs. I mean, it, it is actually quite dramatic for, for investment banks in terms of what the problems they need to address because they, they, they've done a lot of cost cutting, but still, um, if you compare the cost-income ratios of banks, the average investment bank, t between 2007 and t 2011, it's in 2007 it was 60%, mm. and now it's 80%. So even after all the cost cutting, it's they've got a higher a higher cost-income ratio. So that's so largely they, because income being so much yeah, because income now. went down, yeah, yeah. A lot. So and 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 you know, it's predicted not to not to get back to to the old levels, if not fall part even of, fall further, in and part because of yeah, other regulatory. Yeah constraints on yeah. the capital side. And on a more general philosophical basis, if you say, there is an, um, uh, it, I, it's, it's part of a bigger adjustment process where the financial services industry will, will come back to more normal salary levels in, in, in the next, say, five to ten years. Because right. there's an academic research uh, study last year showing that there have been two to basically decades where banking paid much, much more than the rest of the private sector. And that's been in the 1920s and the first decade of this century. Yeah. And with sometimes 70% being paid more uh, in, in, in the banking industry. And even regardless of the function, so even in back office function like HR, people were paid 
seventy percent more, just despite not adding any value, more value than they would do at say a chemical company or so. And that's need that that's something investment banks will need to address in the future. I'm sure there's lots of politicians listening to you talk who will be uh, very <laughs> glad to hear that. That's all we have time for this week. Unfortunately, um, just need to thank Brooke and Charlene and Daniel for their contributions, and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com/banking. We'll be taking a break next week for the Queen's Jubilee Bank Holiday weekend, but we'll be back on Monday the 11th of June. We look forward to addressing you then. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.